We sang that one song this evening, um, I Want to Know Him, I Want to Know You. You know, part, a huge part of being a Christian is not just knowing Him, but our goal is to actually be like Him. It's actually to follow after Him. We should be becoming more and more Christ-like. Um, I'd like to give you a couple, as, as we go through the study this evening, a uh, couple hints, hermeneutic tips, ways to study Scripture so that you don't just hear us teaching it, but that when you study it, you're getting stuff out of the Word yourself. Here's a tip for you. When you're reading Scripture, I'd ask you to pray, Lord, how... Is there something I'm doing? Okay. Um, how can I obey what I'm reading? Like a lot of times like when I'm praying, especially when I'm studying, I'm like, Lord, I want to... What are you saying? But do you ever open up God's Word and say... Okay, how can I live this principle? How can it turn from just, okay, I, I, I see this and I understand it, to you are transformed? You see, if you miss that, the whole study of following after Christ is missed. So far we've studied, the first study was the nativity, Christ's humility. Are, are, are you becoming more like Christ in your humility, your humbleness? The second one we went through, temptation. Christ took temptation serious. He took sin seriously. Are you obeying that one thing? The next thing we went through was we looked at the disciples and how they constantly, they wanted to do what was comfortable to them. They wanted to rely on what they knew best. And Christ in His graciousness kept calling them, follow me guys, I will make you fishers of men. Are you following Christ? Are you, are you obedient? Are you looking more like Him? Last week, Christ's first miracle, marriage at Cana, how can we walk like Christ with, with last week? Are you obeying Scripture? Because if you're not, maybe we should just go back to the nativity and start over again. We need to be, when you read your Bible this week, when you spend time with the Lord, the goal is obedience. It's worship, obedience. If you love me, Christ says, you'll obey my commandments. Turn your Bibles to... John 2. This is, um, man, this is one of those characteristics of Christ that at first I'm like, wow, what do you do with this? Like, uh, you kind of picture Jesus loving the crowds, feeding, healing, talking about the Father, teaching about heaven. And then you think of John 2, and you think of the week, before, um, the week before he was crucified, and there's two events there, and you're like, okay, what do I do with this? And the events we're going to be looking at are Christ when he goes to the temple and he sees what's going on. 
and he does something that just seems really out of character. Where you're like, okay, you're supposed to follow Christ. What's that look like in my life? And uh, that's what we're going to look, look at this evening. I'm, I've been really excited to study this passage with you guys. Let's look at 1 John 2. <clears throat> and we'll read starting in... Uh, I'm sorry, you're right, John. I got first John ahead. This is right after Jesus last week turns the water into wine. Verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum. His mother, his brother, his, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's going to be a, uh, we're going to sit on that a little bit this evening. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build the temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. A couple things about this passage. A lot of people think of this passage as a one-time event, this was actually a two-time event. Not once, but twice. There's the account right after the marriage at Cana, where we're at now. Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and this takes place. The week before he was crucified, Jesus goes back into the temple. He does it again. I heard a guy say one time, you know, cleansing the temple is kind of a, a bad way to describe it. He said, Jesus attacked the temple. He, he didn't go in there and, and tidy it up. He didn't go in there and, and make it look a little neater. He attacked it. And he ruffled some serious feathers. Um, a lot of people, when they think of um, what emotion comes to your mind when you think of this passage, what is it? Anger. Wasn't Jesus angry? Have you ever heard people say that before? Doesn't it say that zeal for your house has eaten me up? I don't know. Was he angry? Maybe not like you're thinking. A lot of times we we picture Jesus like this just irate, madman, out of control, flipping tables, totally eaten up. But I think as we look at this passage, you're going to be, it's interesting what, we're, what we'll find. I seriously doubt that Jesus was ever out of control. 
I'm sure everything he did was purposeful, was fully in control, because everything he did was by the Spirit. This too. Um, so that's, I'm looking forward to getting there this evening. Um, another thing is that this was Jesus' most hated deed. This is the deed that the Pharisees hated more than anything else. I was talking to Pastor Brian, and he said, you know, you could wrap up the whole Gospels like this. Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he cleared the temple. And the Pharisees said, don't you ever do that again. So Jesus came into Jerusalem. He cleared the temple three years later, and they killed him. They hated him for what he did because he attacked something that was so precious to them. They never got over it. Um, okay, another, another reminder as you're studying the Bible. Um, I was talking to a guy this week, and we were looking through Scripture, and he was kind of pulling out some verses that he, were really close to him. He's like, man, this one's really encouraging. And flip over here, this one's really encouraging. One of the things that as you're reading Scripture... If you really want to dig in, and you really want to see what is going on, a guy, um, I went to a, a, a school in Baltimore called Baltimore School of the Bible, and he had such insight. And I was like, how in the world do you get such insight? And he said, Andy, just read the words. Discover what is being said. If you're in class and it teach you how to study the Bible, they say study the context. Study what's going on, not just right here, but ahead of it, before it, what the words mean. And the first thing that we find out about this is that it's the Passover. Man, that's huge. It's one of those things we breeze over. It says, uh, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. You see, you've got to understand the Passover if you're going to get the full color of this passage. The Passover was, um, when did the Passover begin? Anybody know? Just yell it out loud to me. Yeah, right before the Exodus. Right before Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They were in great oppression. And God said to them, I want you to kill a lamb. I want you to make unleavened bread. And that night, I want you to take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorposts. And Exodus, um, what is it? Exodus 12, 13 says, and I will pass over you. And any house that does not have that on it will suffer. Firstborn will die. But anyone who is obedient and is covered by the blood, I will pass over. And the Jews continued this celebration, the Passover. It was Passover in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was packed out. How many people do you think may have been in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover? Like I picture like, I don't know, the Christmas stroll down in Bozeman, where you're like, 
hey, there's somebody I know, ringing a bell. How many people do you think were there? Any guesses? Huh? What? What do you think, Sarah? Higher. Higher than 2 million. Maybe 275, 2 million to 3 million people. The place was packed out. All of these people coming to one spot because they wanted to sacrifice the Passover lamb. This place was, you got to get that in the context. This place was hopping. Then, right before that, you see, it's so cool. Remember last year in Hebrews, we looked at all of the things that God had told the Israelites to do that someday Christ is going to do? All of those, the, the, the feasts, the sacrifices, all of the festivals had something to do with Christ. The Passover lamb had everything to do with Christ. And in John, um, where is it? I think it's John 1, 29. Yes. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, all of the families were bringing lambs. Everybody had to have a lamb for the Passover. This was God's lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They're not just, they're gone. Just like when... um, the priest would lay his hands on the, on the, the sacrifice, and then he, one of them he would kill to separate that our sins are covered. The other one would go out into the wilderness because our sins are taken away. Behold, the lamb. this is God's lamb. He's here to take away the sins of the world. And I wonder if anybody noticed out of those three million people, here he comes into Jerusalem. It's It's Passover. Okay, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And if you think of Jerusalem like today, it'll be a little bit skewed. Because Jerusalem at this time was the center of the world. Everything went through Jerusalem. The, uh, the rabbis would talk about Jerusalem, and they say, the whole world is like an eye. Jerusalem is the colored part. The temple is the pupil. And the reflection in the eye is what, is what goes on in the temple. They would, Jerusalem was where it was at. Three million people coming to Jerusalem, to the temple. Um, and I want to I talk to you about the temple because the more you understand the, how amazing the temple was, it, it just makes this passage so much more intense. Um, what is the purpose of the temple? Let's start there first. What was the purpose? You see, it started... Long time ago with Moses in his tent, and it was called a house of meeting. It's where he met God. 
And then from there, God said, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And so the Israelites built a tabernacle. That's where the sacrifices took place. It's where they were right with God. It's where their sins were forgiven through sacrifice at the temple. Jesus said later on, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. The purpose of the tabernacle was to meet God. It was to have your sins, to be made right with God. It was a house of prayer. And it, it was very different on this occasion. After that, Solomon, or yeah, David wanted to build a temple. Why did he want to build a temple? He had very pure motives. He said, I'm living in a palace, and God's house is a tent. Something's not right. And God said, you cannot build a temple because you're, you're a, a man of war, but your son, Solomon, will build this temple. Solomon builds a temple, and he goes all out. I mean, it is amazing. The, uh, the gold inlay, the special... Um, guys who would come in to overlay everything with gold and this expensive wood. And then the temples tore down. The Jews are carried off into um, another country. And Zerubbabel comes, and had this, the, the next t- temple is built again. And it's nothing like Solomon's temple. But it's a temple. And then Herod comes along. Herod comes along and he wants to appease the Jews. It's a political move. And he wants to give this temple a facelift for 46 years. Let me read a couple things about... uh, There's an ancient uh, historian called Josephus. This is what he records about the temple. And it says, Now Herod, in the 18th year of his reign, and after the acts already mentioned, undertook a great work. That is, to build of himself to build of himself the temple of God and make it larger in compass and raise it to the most magnificent altitude, as esteeming it to be his most glorious of all his actions, as it really was to bring its perfection. As I studied the historical records of this great architectural feat, I was impressed by the luxury extravagance of the structure. If it were not destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, I believe it would have become one of the seven wonders of the world. Now listen to this. The Temple Mount, you see, they had a temple, but there, it was set on this huge platform. Everywhere in Jerusalem looked up to the temple. Everywhere in the land looked up to Jerusalem. The Temple Mount, the plaza that you see the people entering and going back and forth, was the size of 20 football fields. It's huge. It was surrounded by nearly 1,000 columns of 30 feet high, 6 feet in diameter, these huge columns. Um, it was uh, amazing. Some of the doors that go into the temple were 70 to 100 feet tall. Some of the columns were about 100 feet tall, covered in gold. It was extravagant. Can you imagine seeing that? It would, it would have been all these, these Jews coming together, the world... It was the center of the world. Can you imagine how proud the Jews must have been of their temple? They had, um, have you ever heard of the, songs of the Psalms of Ascent? They would have different psalms that as they would go up to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms. I wanted, I wanted to read one to you. Um, 
I think I know it pretty much by heart. Something like um, as the, the mountains surround Jerusalem, so God surrounds his people. And they would have all these psalms that as they went up to the Jerusalem, they would sing, and looking forward to getting to the temple. Um, Forty-seven years it, it had taken to, to be built. Now, the temple was, uh, the people in charge of the temple were the priests, the Pharisees. Can you imagine the pride of that being your workplace? Every day, that's where you go. Let's, um, you know what, Kyle, could you show up that first slide of the temple? I kind of forgot, there it is. It was massive. That's uh, one of the pictures of, um, and I have another picture in a second of these different courts that would go into the temple. Imagine the priests and the Pharisees' perspective. Like one of the most extravagant buildings in the world, and they were in charge. They ran it. They, they, and the Pharisees, you might um, consider them like extreme puritanical they obeyed the letter of the law to the most. I was, one of the things I was reading interesting about them this week was um, they were known, they were very corrupt. Everything they did, they had a lot of selfish intentions. They would pervert justice by something called hissing. And if you were standing in court and they didn't like the way that um, the verdict was going, they would go, <laughs> like that. And the judge, well, maybe I'd better change that verdict. And, and I think of Jesus saying, you brood of vipers, perverting justice, possibly an innocent man. I wonder if they did that at Jesus' trial. The brood of vipers hissing, perverting justice. This was their baby. This was the temple. And it, in charge of all of them was a family. The house of Annas, the high priest, and he had kept this job, this position for generations. This was his family's deal. The, um, all of the shops were called the bazaars of Annas. And he would make the temple treasury very rich to his own benefit. And then I picture all of this Go to the other slide, the next slide. Um, all of this going on, and here comes Jesus amidst three, maybe three million people, massive temple. All of this, the, the politics of the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and Jesus walks in. Very interesting. Now, Jerusalem plus the temple. What does that equal? Three million people going in at this time. What does that look like? Check this out. This is, this is amazing. All of these people had come to do one thing. Come to the temple, and they were going to kill the Passover lamb. The number of lambs slain at Passover was 256,500. 
And how they figured that out was that if there's that many people coming, roughly a lamb would go for 10 people, and then they would have to have enough lambs for that ent- all of those folks. And they also had pins, and like Scripture says, um, sheep and oxen. And he said to the, those who sold doves, all, it was like a, a marketplace. And where it would have been, um, if you see, let's see here. You see these big, like, castle-looking things, if you're into chess? Inside that is the temple. And if you see how this porch here steps down, that was called the Court of the Gentiles, which is interesting because um, Jesus said this should be a house of prayer for all nations. But when they were excavating the site, they found a sign that said, Gentiles, only this far. You can't come any closer. And that porch there that wraps the whole way around, that is where most likely all of those animals were kept, all of the, ch- the money changers, all of the doves, I'm not sure if they were all there at one time, the 256,000 lambs, but I bet you they were coming and going. This continues. This is interesting. Okay. Assuming it only took 10 minutes to fulfill this elaborate sacrificial ritual. These are a lot of lambs you've got to take care of here. Um, means that, it, that in one hour, only six groups of 100 Jews could be admitted into the temple court, which is where that fire is. Okay, um, the slaying began earlier at about 1.30 and lasted about 6 p.m. Fewer than 3,000 lambs could be slain in the temple court in four and a half hours. If the, figure, if the figures given by Josephus are right, that many lambs were slaughtered. It would take 417 hours nonstop to slaughter that many lambs. Obviously, this could not be accomplished in one afternoon. You see what's going on here? You have Jerusalem. You have the Passover. You know what this equals? Big business. Three million people coming to purchase things. And they would bring their own lambs, but guess what? The Pharisees who were in charge, they had priests who said, no, you see, we have priests who go out into the sheep and we pick the sheep that God wants, the perfect sheep, the, the spotless sheep. But, but, sir, look, my sheep is really good looking. Sorry, buddy. You have to buy one of our lambs. That was one of the things they had to do is they had to have a sacrifice. The second thing they had to do was they had to pay a temple tax. Temple tax went into the treasury. Anybody who was over 20 had to pay a temple tax. Um, it was a special kind of money. The money was kind of a pure silver and the big deal was it, it didn't have any graven images on it. Well, they would go to the temple. They needed temple money. The temple money was jacked up. This was big business. I'm trying to, like, like all of this stuff. And the purpose is worship. And what's going on is chaos. Sometimes, you know, you know about Black Friday, This is Black Friday. What is the purpose? Isn't the purpose to remember the birth of Christ? But man, the storekeepers are so pumped about on this one day, 
they go from in the red to in the black. We've missed it. They, they, they missed it. The whole purpose had been misconstrued. Let's keep going. Let's see if I skipped anything. A, a place and a position that should be filled with humility was filled with pride. And here comes Jesus into this context. You see how you, the more you read about the context, the more rich the passage gets. You picture Jesus coming into this. Um, who is Jesus to them? He's from Nazarene, known for kind of uh, country boys. Picture Jesus coming into this context, and he's really nobody of position. And he's got with him, he's got some disciple, disciples who are fresh off the boat, pretty excited about following Jesus. I imagine they're doing the tourist thing, like, wow, look at that column. It's really tall. <laughs> pretty pumped about walking around with Jesus. And Jesus walks into this scene, walks into this chaotic scene. And what does he do? I love this line right here. And when he made a whip of cords, hey, John, can you hand me that rope? He starts braiding. And the disciples are probably like, what is he doing? I don't know. He's braiding. We're in the temple. Why not? He starts braiding a whip. And when he made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables, and said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And I think sometimes we picture Jesus like flip, like, Think of that whole area filled with animals. How did Jesus do it? Have you ever driven animals before? I'll bet you the scene was crazy. All Jesus had to do was take a whip and start driving animals right at the money changers. There was probably, I mean, and you picture the flocks getting mixed up. And they, like this herder, he's got his flocks, and they're getting mixed with your sheep, and they're trying to uh, sort them out, and Jesus just keeps on pushing. I want to yell yeehaw really bad right now. <laughs> I almost did. <laughs> Peter goes by, and he's like tipping the money changers. <laughs> Jesus was not out of control. He was totally in control. He totally knew what was going on. He was totally pushing these animals, birds flying everywhere, sheep, cattle, out, out of the court of the Gentiles, away from the temple, out into the streets. You picture men um, chasing after these silver coins. You, ch- you picture men like going after these birds in the air, which is kind of funny. And then 
he has everybody's attention. This man with no reputation, they want to know what is going on. And he says something, and don't breeze over this because he was making a point. He said something very clear. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Your father... You see, Jesus just made his first public claim of divinity. This is my father's house. The Pharisees didn't miss it. You see what they said in um, 18? So the Jews answered him and said, What sign do you show, show us since you do the... Prove that you're God. You, you say, or God's son. You say it. Show us a sign. Let's back up real quick to zeal for your house has eaten me up. Does anybody else have other versions of that? What, what, what do you have? Zeal for your house will consume me. Any other versions? Because I have New King James. What's ESV say? What does NIV say? What specifically, what does the whole thing say? Will consume me? Because New King James says, um, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Your, your, your guys actually have a better, I think it's a better translation. Let's look at um, the, this word zeal. This, this is one of the things, guys, that if we can take this home and we can obey this point about Jesus, man, that, this, that's what I want to do. I want to, this is what I want to be like. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? Zeal. Conviction. Strong conviction. Zealous. So much so that it's fierce. Fierceness. So much so that you're willing to do something about it. You're willing to take a stand for something. You feel so furiously, intensely strong about something that you want to do something about it. That's kind of a rare quality. Like we, people actually acting on their convictions. People actually being convicted about something. Um, Lon, I'm going to mess this up. Lonnie sent me, me and Tanner this clip of this guy talking about how nobody has convictions anymore. Everybody's scared to like like state something, and so they'll, what they'll do is they'll, the way they'll pose a sentence is they'll be like, um, I'm doing fine, aren't you? Or, I really believe that, don't you? Or, um, Jesus is God, isn't he? Like, instead of like conviction, Jesus is God. Jesus is God? Or, I'm going to MSU, aren't you? Like, we're afraid to be convicted about, apparently the email is much funnier. I will, and Bjorn, did you get the email, Bjorn? Because I saw you, like, you're like, yeah, this is so funny. I'm not funny, it's the problem. Onward. <laughs> Zeal has eaten me up. Now, if you're going to understand this saying that the disciples remembered, that they looked back upon and said, that's right, he said that. You've got to understand the context of what's going on. Turn to Psalm 69, because this is straight out of the Psalms. 
David says this. This is another little tip when you're studying the Bible. Get curious. Like, don't just read over things fast. Like, what, why did, what's going on there? And if you miss, if you miss Psalm 69, you're going to miss a lot of the heart of what's going on here. Psalm 69, um, 7. Give you a second to turn there. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Okay? I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Why? Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. You see what David's saying? For some reason or another, and I don't know why, David was having these strong convictions about God's house. And what happened to him? Because for your sake, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. Eight, I have become a stranger to the people who are closest to me, to my brothers, and an alien to my mother's children. The people who, are, who should be closest to me cannot stand me. They hate me. Why? Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you, God, have fallen on me. You see what's going on here? The reproaches of other people who have, who have done wrong to you, God, they have fallen on me. The disciples remembered this. Go back to, first, to John. Zeal for your house, future tense, will eat me up. You see, we read our own context into this, and we picture, like we've just read our own words into this context. This is a prophetic statement. Because of Christ's conviction for the temple, he was eaten up. Because of the reproaches that he called them out on. He was consumed. What do you mean, Andy? I'll show you. Check out Matthew 26. I get so excited. I was in Revelations. (laughs) Not thinking. Matthew 26 59. Okay. Context. Here's the context. So important. See the temple? You see the platform where um, the court of the Jews, the court of the Gentiles was, where the money changers were, where all the animals are? There's a court connected to that, a room connected to that, that is where this took place, the trial. I doubt that was on an accident. This is after the second cleansing of the second attack on the temple. They take him back. Where did, where did I say to go? Thank you. I was back in Revelations. Just kidding. Okay, the trial. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward and found none. 
But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, uh, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Remember he said that like three years ago? That's right, he did, didn't he? They ne- Isn't it amazing how hatred has such a good memory? Like, Jesus attacked the temple again that week, but the accusations, were three it still bothered them. They hated him for that. You see, zeal for his, because of Christ's zeal, Christ said prophetically through the Psalms, has, eat, has consumed me. Let's go back to John. Okay, we're going to wrap up John 2 here. They asked for a sign in verse 19. And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. Isn't that cool? Like, this is the event that the disciples looked back upon. All the miracles, they remembered this. They remembered this. Therefore, when his disciples, um, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said to them. You see, um, They were so focused on the structure of the temple, the the beauty, the majesty of the temple, that they totally missed the point. Behold, here is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus says, here's your sign. Kill me. Three days I'll rise again. And they missed it. Why do you think people hate Jesus so much? Not just then, but even today, there's something about Jesus that you, you, it's hard to be neutral. It's really hard to like, have neutral ground when it comes to witnessing and talking about Jesus. Do you ever wonder why that is? Of any other religion, Jesus agitates people. Even as Christians, we, like when we witness, we like talking about God. It's a little harder to talk about Jesus. You know why that is? Jesus goes straight to the heart. Like when he went to Jerusalem, he walked straight into the heart of the Pharisees and exposed their sin. It's hard to be neutral with Jesus because he totally exposes who you are and says, this won't do. This has got to change. This temple was created for a purpose it is not for, this is my father's house, which was meant to be for prayer, for worship, for meeting with God, for becoming right with. You've totally missed it and you've made it for yourselves. That's what Jesus does. That's why people, that's why people hate Jesus. Because when he, when he confronts you, he wants all of you, he wants all of your worship. 
He wants all of the glory. He settles for nothing less. He puts his finger right on the places that really are heart idolatry. No, Jesus, not that one. I kind of wanted to keep that one. No, Andy, this one too does not belong in in this temple. Um, So, 1 John 2.6, how are we to walk as Jesus walked? Should we start braiding whips? I'd like you to notice something about this passage. Is Jesus didn't do this among the Gentiles. He did it to the Jews, his own people, the people who, knew, who should have known better. That should be a cue for us. Like, if you're just going to go, if you want to share Christ and you go in with a whip, it's not how Christ was. But in the temple, where they knew better, it was intense. Let me ask you this. Are you a contradiction? Like you were created for a purpose. God created you for a purpose, just like the temple had a purpose. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you not know that your body is the temple? Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Go ahead, check them out. Are they bringing glory to God? Are they serving the purpose that they were intended for? Are they serving others? Are they worshiping? Are they serving yourself? Are they, are they sinning? Even worse. Is, what about your eyes? Your eyes were made to look at things that were worshipful. To look at things... Not to indulge, not to look at things that are wrong. What about your ears? Where are you going? What about your feet? Do you not know that your body is the temple? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Are you you a contradiction? Or are you serving the way you are intended to? Man, I want to be zealous. Like, I want to be a Christian who lives on conviction, who I am so convicted about God's word that I'm fierce. What does that mean, Andy? Here's an example. Christ said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. That's pretty fierce. If you are struggling with something, get rid of it. If something is standing in between you and worshiping God, serving, get rid of it. 
Be zealous. Be fierce in your conviction. You don't see this much. I don't see this much at all. I see people who are neutral. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Or do you love Jesus enough that you will follow him? Because here's the next point. Zeal for your house has eat, has con, will consume me. People who are zealous, it's hard to be around them because it is so convicting. Can you imagine being in the temple and then men knew when Christ said, you have made this place a den of... They knew. They knew that they were wrong. You ever been around a guy like that? Who they live for the Lord and you're like, oh, seriously, you're going to turn off that movie? Seriously? You ever been around that guy? Sometimes the, the, the people we're around, it is so, the Christians that we're around, really, they, they really turn down the, the zeal squelch. Come on. I'm not going to listen to this trash. Come on. Zeal for your house. Who are you going to follow? Like Christ said, this is Christ's example. Are you zealous in prayer? Like, are you passionate? And what does that mean to be passionate about prayer? Pray without ceasing. That's what it means. Like, you're in a test. Lord, I need your help. You're talking to people, right? As you're engaging with them, God, help me to love this person. Are you zealous about hearing from God's word? But Andy, it's exam week. I got them too, buddy. But I need God's word. Are you zealous for your time listening to God? Are you zealous around other believers? What does that look like? Pet peeve of mine. Service is over, Sunday afternoon. And we turn around and we talk about the football game. We turn around and we talk about something. We just spent time worshiping God Almighty. And we turn around and we're like, you get a haircut? <laughs> Seriously? Zealous. Are you zealous for unbelievers? Do you love people enough that you're going to be willing to be consumed up? Man, I am really convicting myself right now. God's word is really convicting me right now because I struggle with this. You go up to that person and you're like, all right, I really want to talk about Christ. But zeal for your house will cons- it may not go good. It may not go good. But that is what it means to be a Christian. That is what first John two six was talking about. That's the way you ought to walk. Now I'm gonna go the whole way back to the beginning of where we were. If you can take home one thing every time you read your Bible, man, that would be that'd be incredible. Instead of just reading it, letting it go in one ear and out the other. Like, take this home. Pray about this tonight. Talk about this with other believers. Tomorrow morning when you get up and you spend time in the Word, pray zealously. Lord, I want to do whatever you say. 
even if it consumes me. That's hard. Um, let's close in a word of prayer. Close in a word of prayer. Um, go ahead and bow your heads. After we pray, I'm going to ask the guys who will lead us in the final set to uh, lead in worship, and then they can dismiss us. But, um, and that is my prayer this week, that we would be zealous. Do you know Christ is the question. Do you know Christ? You've heard of him this evening. Do you know him? If you don't, you need to talk to some, one of us here. I would ask you that as we pray this evening that you would seek him. The Bible says, and you, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Lord, we love you. Sometimes I'm ashamed of my weak love. Father, help us to be zealous in our love, zealous in our obedience, no matter the consequences. So many times, Lord, we are weak, spined Christians. We are so affected by our culture. Lord, thank you for people in other countries who are standing up under persecution right now who know the meaning of zealous very well. And forgive us, Lord, for our forgetfulness. Father, I pray that you would draw all men to you. That every single person, Lord, that we come in contact with would see you, Lord. That those who are here this evening who don't know you, Lord, may they seek you. May they use me, Lord, to talk to some of these people. Use Tanner and these other folks who are here who love you, Lord, to talk zealously with conviction, Lord. Help us not to be ashamed, Lord. We love you so much. Lord, we thank you for your cross. We thank you, Lord, for your fierce love. Fierce love that you loved us with, an everlasting love, so much so that you sent your Son to die on a cross, Lord, for your glory and for our, our way, our eternal way, Lord, if we look to you. Lord, continue to bless this evening. And may it, Lord... As we, as we hang out, whatever we do next, Lord, help us not to forget you, but just keep, keep us thinking of you, Lord, throughout this week, and keep us thinking of you. In your name, amen.